Hello and welcome back to another special interview show from Seton Hall University. This is The Global Current. I am Juliana Mori, your guest interview host and an associate producer of this podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting an esteemed guest who is truly an expert in the intersection of AI and the ominous concept of weaponization. Professor Dr. Brigitte Dresp Langley is the director of research at the National Center of Scientific Research with an extensive experience regarding artificial intelligence. Dr. Dress Longley has been at the forefront of research and discourse surrounding the weaponization of artificial intelligence. If you could please introduce yourself to the audience, that would be great. Well, thank you very much, Juliana, for this very, um, you know, very, how shall I say, very positive introduction. And uh, I'm happy to be here with you today to chat about the topic. And I'm not necessarily a specialist in the weaponization of artificial intelligence. So let me go back to the context of this topic and why you invited me. It refers to an article that was published in Frontiers in Artificial Intelligence this year by myself. And this article is part of a special issue where the question is asked whether artificial intelligence will be used in the future like a fine telescope that allows human beings to make better decisions because it is artificial intelligence assisted. And this assistance can provide some deeper insights into certain realities that the human mind cannot apprehend or that the human eye cannot see. When we talk about image analysis, for example, there's fine visual detail that changes in radiological images that the human expert has a job detecting from one image to the other. So artificial intelligence can be of assistance in these domains. And in this case, we use it like a fine telescope. The other alternative, and that is the slightly negative view that some people hold, is that artificial intelligence is a blunt instrument. It's not really very intelligent. I will explain in a few seconds why this is so. It's used like a hammer to hammer away what is left of our humanity by, for example, weaponizing it for warfare, for the sake of warfare. We come to that in a few seconds. Now, why is artificial intelligence not necessarily intelligent? Well, uh, it depends on so many parameters, on the training data, the performance depends on the quality of the training data, and are fed into the AI system. Then the AI system delivers a certain performance that is not necessarily stable in time. Now, in human learning, we have two basic criteria for true learning. One criterion is consolidation, of what has been learned. And then the other criterion is generalization of what was learned to other domains. So artificial intelligence is currently not capable of such learning. We have to retrain the models every now and again with new training data, and these training data may be biased. So I would like you to bear, I would like us to bear this in mind before we go deeper into the the topic of weaponization of artificial intelligence. Now, this article I wrote for this special issue, Artificial Intelligence Hammer or Telescope, is published in Frontiers for Artificial Intelligence, the section of law on law and artificial intelligence. And my contribution was on the dangers of weaponization of artificial intelligence for warfare. I just wanted to know if you could explain how uh, artificial intelligence is being used as a weapon. Is being used as a weapon is uh, not correct. Currently, there is no weaponry that is deployed with the assistance of artificial intelligence. It's being developed. There is a threat 
that this could materialize. And there is a current controversy that was published in the Financial Times a few days ago, I think. So this controversy is out there. It has been existing for some time. And currently, several governments, including European uh, governments of European countries, are lobbying the United Nations for a binding resolution that restricts the use of AI-controlled weapons, and this would include killer drones. And there are countries who are resisting such a resolution. And the current controversy is here that these weapons are dangerous because they could act like potential weapons of mass destruction. So this leads us to a complicated problem space where we have to ask several questions before we even begin to understand what we are talking about here. So whether AI will be used in the future of warfare is an open question. And my immediate reaction to that question would be, I hope this will never happen. But currently, we have to distinguish between three levels of autonomy of, of weaponry. We have fully autonomous weapons being developed. There's no human control whatsoever in any of the loops. Then we have semi-autonomous weapons where there is a human in the loop and some steps are actually under human control. This could include final deployment of the weapon. And then we have a whole set of AI-assisted technology where the human being has full control over all the steps in the process and that is actually the most desirable case scenario for any artificial intelligence-driven technology, I would say. But this is my own Viewpoint. Now, this, uh, these three levels of autonomy for, for weaponry assisted by artificial intelligence is the result of a discussion by the Stockholm Peace Research Institute, who published that relevant document in 2017. So it is an old debate. It didn't start yesterday. And the problem that arises now is the fact that this new technology is likely to, to, to be deployed in the context of specific weapons that could become the new weapons of mass destruction. If you could go a little bit deeper into the autonomy aspect and how it's a little bit more different than artificial intelligence, are those being used in modern-day warfare autonomous systems of weaponry? They are being developed in Korea, in the United States, in Israel, in Russia. They're currently not deployed in war. Now, to give you two examples of fully autonomous weaponry, we have the very simple model that's the fully autonomous sentry gun. It is a gun that uses sensor technology, the sensor detects movement somewhere, and then the AI system decides the system shoots, and there's no human intervention. There's no human control over the deployment of autonomous sentry guns. They're being developed by several countries. Whether they're currently employed is unknown, because what we have to bear in mind is that technology is developed in, in generally in army laboratories and the research is top secret, is classified. You know, people sign a non-disclosure agreement and nothing gets out to the public. That's one of the problems. So these fully, fully autonomous sentry guns, they use sensors to detect movement and they shoot on anything that moves, to put it in simple terms. The problem here with this kind of autonomous weaponry is that it violates one of the basic principles of proper conduct in war. They exist. They're not law, but they're written down. They're 12 principles. And this principle that's being violated here is the principle of discrimination. These autonomous sentry guns do not discriminate between an enemy or a tank or a civilian. Now, what we see currently in the war in Gaza, there is a lot of damage on the civilian front. Civilians should not undergo the consequences of, of war. They should be protected. But fact is that 
these principles of war are not being respected already in the absence of, of weaponry deployed by artificial intelligence. We're not there yet, but the danger is if we have fully autonomous weaponry, then the discrimination principle will be violated massively, especially in the case of a drone swarm, a whole swarm of drones uh, shooting uh, at anything that moves on a decision that is not issued, that is not under the control of a human expert. And the problem with this in, in, in the real world scenario of war, we have uncertainty that a human expert could deal with and say, okay, we stop this process. This is there's too much at stake. There are civilians there. We cannot deploy this now. And then the process is aborted. But if the artificial intelligence system takes over, there's no longer any human control, then the program will just do what it's programmed to do. If the if the situation is such that there are too many civilian targets in the area, then the, the damage could be incommensurable. Okay, it already is in, in the case of classic weaponry, but when we have this sort of weaponry being deployed without the control of any human expert, then uh, I think the problem will become bigger and bigger. The casualties on the civilian front could be greater. Yes, and you've already touched about the conduct of warfare, and so the Geneva Protocol prohibits the use of asphyxiating, poisonous, or other gases and other bacteriological methods in war. This like entire protocol might be considered as outdated regarding the modernization and like the development of weaponry. So could you see there being a difference or like some sort of revision being made to the Geneva Protocol of 1925? Or do you think there should be? Well, uh, there definitely should be. And it's not only my opinion. I think there is some consensus in the public domain and also in, you know, among politicians. It should be. But the problem really here is that currently what we call CRBRN, these are chemical, biological, radiological and nuclear weaponry. They are banned by NATO. They're also banned by the Geneva Protocol. And both go together. Now, this policy has served as a cornerstone of security and stability for now 13 years. But today, the potential use of the CBRN by state or by non-state actors, whatever, remain a central and evolving threat to international security because of the scientific and technological innovation and the emerging trends such as artificial intelligence. And NATO recognizes this. So there are currently internationally several committees and commissions that are concerned with these problems, they're working on this problem to see what can be done internationally in terms of regulatory measures around AI-assisted um, warfare and autonomous lethal weapons. Now, these commissions, I, I know of a few. There's the US Department of Defense Committee. There is the UK Parliament's Lords Select Committee on AI in Weapon Systems. There is the French Parliament's Mission d'Information sur les Systèmes d'Armes Lethaux Autonomes, donc the French Mission for information about lethal, autonomous lethal weapon systems. There's European expert groups. There is a committee of European defense ministers assisted by a global technology panel reflecting on these questions. And there is the United Nations Committee on um, Autonomous Weapon Systems. And of course, the International Committee of the Red Cross has a commission as well. So you see everywhere in the world at, at different levels, commissions are being formed to discuss these problems. So there is some recognition that we need new regulatory measures 
for these autonomous weapon systems. Whether these will see the day is another question. And you've already talked about the public consensus regarding autonomous weapon systems and how there does need to be some sort of regulations instilled on that. And how aware is the general public of autonomous weapon systems and how AI is being developed into modern warfare? And how might that increase the policy and the public discourse regarding this entire new technological area of artificial intelligence? Well, this is a very difficult question because I, of course, I do not represent uh, all the members of the public, so I do not know <laughs> how far the public is aware of these problems. My intuition is that the man who sells you the bread around the corner will maybe not know about these systems and have little insights, but I think people are not stupid. They understand that these possibilities exist. So you see you see articles in journals like The Times and elsewhere, and there is a general debate in the public now about the potential threats of artificial intelligence. And uh, I think uh, it is important that these commissions and committees who make the decisions about future, future regulation resort to panel of domain experts that's as widely chosen as possible. And this could and should include members from the general public. But more importantly, it is, in my view, critical to include an as large as possible panel of domain experts from science. Because what's currently happening, um, they invite people from, techno from the technology sector, engineers, people who represent private companies or former generals. And these people have a certain worldview and they come with their lifetime experience, but they has, have also certain personal beliefs and they have maybe interests to defend. So I think and the inclusion of as large as possible a public uh, stakeholder platform in this type of decision making at the government level is important in my point of view. But what will happen that we do not know. But whether the general public is generally aware of all the aspects relating to autonomous weapon systems, I doubt that very much. So you've already uh, stated that AI has become a matter of urgency and how it's sort of, I don't know, in my opinion, it's a little scary because it's developing so quickly. So what makes AI such an urgent matter for research and legislative restriction, in your opinion? I think what I have written is that thinking about how to develop AI parsimoniously and in a sustainable fashion, that is something that has become a matter of urgency. Artificial intelligence is no matter of urgency at all. We can leave it to the side. We can concentrate on climate change, on the planet, on developing human expertise, on developing new training programs for kids in schools. We do not need to focus all our efforts on artificial intelligence. That's not urgent at all. It is just a general trend in technology that companies push. AI is everywhere. Everybody discusses AI. So it has become the buzz of the day very much. So it's a buzz. It's a phenomenon that is almost brought about by a process that we call incantation in psychology. We talk so much about something that is in reality not important, but it becomes important because people talk about it all the time. So I think what we should focus on is think about how to de develop intelligent, really intelligent, artificial intelligence and how to deploy it wisely and sustainably. That is the matter of urgency, I would say. So more the ethics involving artificial intelligence. Is it, goes beyond, it goes beyond ethics because mm -hmm. 
it's good that you say that. You gave me the keyword here, ethics. <laughs> we have the European AI Act that's that's come come up with a certain number of ethical recommendations on the use and the deployment of artificial intelligence. And that is in the in the attempt towards a legal framework for artificial intelligence. A legal framework meaning laws and legal framework means enforcement. Ethical recommendations can be left aside. That is just based on a general consensus in society that we have shared values, moral values we should all adhere to. But the the focus is on the should here. There is no enforcement, which means people who don't adhere, who, who do not obey these principles, don't get punished. There's no uh, penalty. So I think what the public needs and the public deserves is legal certainty about artificial intelligence. So this is what, by the way, the European Commission wanted. That is the, the main, that was the main goal of Ursula von der Leyen and the president of the European Commission. She wanted to achieve legal certainty around technology relating or implementing artificial intelligence. And this will be difficult to achieve because a consensus of different member countries is far from being reached. So do you think that lack of certainty and lack of precise legality challenges the existing global norms regarding the regulations to technology in the military, like as a whole? Um, well, the military sector is a little bit apart because, no, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't formulate it like that. What it does, it challenges our whole uh, worldview about, first of all, the value of human I would say even human life, human intelligence, because if we suppose that we can replace a human, an intelligent, well-trained human expert by an AI system, then we question the value of human intelligence and human life. So that is a fundamental question that is of a philosophical nature, I would say. That is the first preoccupation. And then it asks another deep question about our own humanity. Where do we want it to go? If we give legal certainty about AI and saying that anything that is not fully controlled by a human on the loop that controls the system from A to Z and can actually say we don't execute a system, we stop it at any any moment in the process, then it's okay. But to achieve this, I think we need legal certainty. We need precise laws in the domain of, of the, in the everyday life domain if it comes to an AI-assisted cattle or whatever it is, or an autonomous vehicle we use to, to go from A to Z in everyday life, uh, we need that legal certainty. But of course, it, at the global level of warfare or, or, or the, the possibility of conducting war by means of artificial intelligence-assisted weaponry, especially if it's lethal and autonomous, then yes, I think we need clear, clear laws, international laws. But that will be difficult to achieve, I think. So just to take a turn back to the humanitarian impacts of um, autonomous weapon systems. So how might the autonomous weapon systems impact um, civilian populations and humanitarian efforts in conflict zones? I know you already talked about the civilian um, impact in the Gaza Strip, in the war in Gaza. So is there anything else you could add regarding the impact on civilians? Well, if we imagine the case scenario, if the Pentagon uh, allows or authorizes the, the deployment of drone swarms in, in, in these areas, then as I said, if it's entirely artificial intelligence controlled and if it completely disregards the discrimination principle, which means it cannot tell a civilian 
from 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 a soldier or a civilian facility from military infrastructure if that is being deployed then we have a big problem because there will be many more civilian casualties because of the lack of any regard for the discrimination principle i think it is very scary that is the main concern especially if we're talking about drone swarms i mean a single autonomous stationary sentry weapon is usually deployed in a zone where civilians don't go. So the, let's say the, the casualties could be limited. It's still not a good thing, I think. But in the case of a drone swarm, a whole swarm of drones um, starting to shoot out without any human control, yes, then I think the dangers are real and the damages could be incommensurable. So just to pivot into international cooperation on regarding like different state actors, different NGOs, and just different bo- governing bodies working together, do you find that there needs to be more international cooperation and agreements to regulate the development? Or do you think it should be regarding the construction? Or do you think like the conduct of war is more important to regulate? I mean, I just, if you could provide a little bit more clarity on regarding how you feel like international cooperation could be helpful in this situation. Oh, I would love to provide more clarity. The problem is <laughs> that there is no clarity. And I think the idea that we could coordinate uh, an international consensus on development of that kind of weaponry is, is a total illusion. That is not going to happen. Some countries will develop that. Uh, some armies will develop that under the seal of secrecy and without any international cooperation and the efforts have to be made at the regulation front. There have to be international consensus of countries, of governments to avoid, first of all, avoid war at all costs. Wars cost a lot of money. The burden of war is terrible. So we have so many other problems already with the planet and with society. We have a a global mental health crisis a post-COVID problem still to deal with. And I think the first, yeah, I think the first goal is to avoid war at all costs. But as you see, this is not so easy. And then the next step, trying to encourage more international collaboration to regulate the deployment or the potential deployment of lethal autonomous weapons, that is, I do not see how this can easily happen, how this can easily be done at the NATO level, at the level of the United Nations. People can get together, discuss, but as I said earlier, we can discuss for hours and then still no, have no regulatory measures that allow us to enforce the ethical values and ideas we are defending in these discussions. And just to start wrapping up a little bit, so mm-hmm. in your circle in um, as a researcher, Are there any ongoing discussions or initiatives that you've seen aimed at addressing the ethical and legal challenges associated with autonomous weapon systems or AI or just any sort of regulation regarding those issues? Yes, there are a lot of individual or group-based initiatives trying to assess how we can make artificial intelligence trustworthy. Not in the domain of autonomous weapons, because we don't reach that domain. That is in the military domain. And it is really, we we must really try to separate this from the general debate about AI, although the two are related. You are, of course, right. But what we can do as scientists, we can stand for trustworthy artificial intelligence in the domain of let's see, in in industry or in healthcare or whatever it is we want to apply to. And then bear in mind that any of the AI we develop in research labs can be deployed for warfare 
because the army can take all this. If they're not developing it already, they can take it and apply or, or, or change it and adapt it to a problem that could respond to a need for for warfare by autonomous weaponry. We have to be aware of this. And this is what Paul Nolan called the Oppenheimer moment of artificial intelligence in an interview he gave recently when he released his film on Oppenheimer. He said, this is the time where people who do research on artificial intelligence have to ask themselves some questions how far they want to go with this and what kind of artificial intelligence they want to develop. So this is the major question. There is a question of consciousness or conscience for scientists. I myself do not develop any artificial intelligence. We use very very simple self-organizing neural networks to make um, simple predictions about image analysis and things like that. But there are people who work on kinds of autonomous artificial intelligence, especially all those people who work on artificial consciousness, which is the latest craze. They have to ask, ask themselves some serious questions. Why would we want to develop anything like that? Okay, and for my final question, as we conclude, what actions or steps would you recommend for policymakers and the general public regarding artificial intelligence, involvement with warfare, modern weaponry, or just AI in general, whichever you want to cover? This is a very difficult question, a question almost impossible to answer. My answer would be I have no recommendations to make to anyone. What I do hope, I hope for the best, I hope that people will develop AI responsibly at all levels, whether it, whether it's in, in science labs or in industry. I hope that the area of lethal autonomous weapons that are fully autonomous will never see the day. I hope for the best for all of us. That's all I can say at that level. Thank you, Dr. Dross Blongley, for taking the time to sit down for an interview with The Global Current. It was very interesting to talk to you and share your unique journey and helpful insights you had to share. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. To everyone that is listening right now, we are grateful at The Global Current for your support. Please follow us wherever you are listening from. Until next time, I am Juliana Mori, signing off.